0: Hello everyone and thank you for joining us for another episode of the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Brought to you by me, Vernon Kane. Every week we take you into the heart of the England camp and this week we're with the Red Roses as they power on in the Women's Six Nations. This time we're not only joined by England women's all-time point scorer but she's also officially the best female rugby player in the world.
1: It's really strange, like obviously amazing and overwhelming and something that obviously totally humbles you, but I said it at the time, it's kind of strange to receive an individual award or accolade when you're part of a team, you know, you kind of feel a bit, not, not a fraud, but you know, obviously what you're doing is only what everybody else is doing as part of your team.
0: We're getting to know England centre Emily Scarratt.
1: Do you remember once I was messing around with my dad and actually knocked his part of his front tooth out? uh, uh, My dad's front tooth. Yes, he he always reminds me that he had to get it crowned. I think it was just one of those unlucky stray limbs
0: as well as chatting to emily charlie Yule shares the songs that are special to
2: him when you get to the front of the bus eddie's sat front row so actually effectively you're <laughs> serenading eddie <laughs> jones with that's close
0: lots of great stuff to go through so let's crack on here's what happened when all two inside lines nathan middleton caught up with world player of the year emily scarrett
3: growing up on a leicestershire farm what, what was that like <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was amazing. Um, Obviously, it's the only childhood I knew, but yeah, I loved it. Obviously, just kind of roaming around the farm, was able to go. And I remember going like sitting on the combine harvester with my dad in the summer, running on the top of round bales once they'd been baled, which mum never really knew about because I don't think it's particularly safe. But as a kid, that's the kind of thing that you go and find out in the country. Jumping in the moat, you know, just it sounds very country and it was, but I loved it. Just open spaces. You know, lots of my friends used to love to come over to the farm and, and kind of, a part of that because they were more village city life so it was um yeah it was really cool and very very grateful for my upbringing for sure. Going into towns and
3: cities was it quite kind of a, a shock for you as a child then because it's, it's very different that to the, the life you've just described?
1: Yeah n- not crazily so obviously I am on a farm and I suppose it, that is quite detached but the village was only two minute drive away and the Leicester city was maybe a 15 minute drive away so it's not kind of as rural as, as some places but um it was one of those where, obviously, prior to me being able to drive, so 17 and, and younger, I, I just relied so heavily on my parents. I loved doing sports, loved travelling around everywhere, seeing friends, even just going to school. So I was very, very grateful for when I could actually start to drive myself and, and pass my test.
3: <laughs> so you had an older brother, Joe? Yeah. Kind of, What was that kind of like growing up? Did you had a good close relationship when you were growing up? I know he was sort of the one that helped you into rugby, but, but what was that relationship like?
1: Yeah, um, really good relationship with my brother. Um, always have done, obviously, as... Growing up as a as a sporty, younger sister, I always wanted to, to play, go outside, play football, um, rugby, whatever it was. I remember Joe and I playing 2v1v, my dad in the garden when we were quite young at, at rugby. I suppose I was a bit tomboyish when I was younger. I think we did have kind of inverted commas fights or whatever, but He was always kind of such a gent, even at that age, that he'd always just kind of, you know, just let me win or kind of toy around a little bit. Um, But I do remember once I was messing around with my dad and actually knocked his part of his front tooth out. Dad's uh, front uh, tooth? My dad's front (laughs) tooth, yes. He he always reminds me that he had to get it crowned. I think it was just one of those unlucky, stray limbs that, that caught him, but yeah just always kind of loved that growing up with obviously my older brother and my dad and mum probably didn't get involved quite so much with that sort of the side of things Stop but playing um, around and knocking out your dad yeah kind of basically
3: <laughs> i've also read of something that you and joe used to fight over there was there a season ticket at leicester tigers there was only a couple of spaces and so you had to, to fight not maybe not fight a bit as you just described but but may have an, a heated argument about it. yeah
1: so it. we we had two season tickets when we were growing up um so obviously there was four of us in the family. Sometimes, obviously, dad would be working on the farm. It was quite busy. Once Joe had gone away to university, that was my time. I was like, mum and I were in, or dad and I were in. So, so whenever he came back, it was like, all right, fine, you can go. But um, yeah, no, that was, that was awesome. Loved going down to Tigers. And yeah, more often than not, I would. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go
3: through a few sports here, which I think uh, you've played growing up in, in your younger years. So football, yep. netball, basketball, tennis, rounders, swimming. I mean, that's that's six I've listed without rugby. How did you cram all of those in to, as well as, I guess, being on a farm and playing with your brother in your school? I mean, that must have been quite a busy time in your life.
1: Yeah, it was carnage. Um, I think, as kind of alluded to earlier, obviously, mum or dad had to drive me everywhere. I had something on nearly every night after school at school. So, you know, an after school club of some description. And then most evenings as well, I'd have like a club. Um, something happening in the evening so I loved it because it meant I was dashing around all over the place doing all the things that I loved but um, yeah in terms of my school work it meant that I had to be quite kind of organised and on it and you know in terms of making sure that I got that done I, I was kind of the the diligent kid that did make sure always make sure that it was done mum might disagree with me I'm not sure but <laughs> that's what I'm going with but yeah it, it was busy um, but I loved it I was always exhausted so I'd just crash into bed pretty early doors and, and go again the next day but um yeah really fond memories of kind of dashing around the county every evening yeah it was great fun
3: and so then from all those different sports rugby obviously has come to the forefront how, how did rugby Get there compared to all those those different sports
1: I think uh obviously playing all those different sports, I got to a point where it was too hard to to keep everything going, obviously, my rugby started getting more serious. Um, all of a sudden games on a Sunday started clashing with hockey games that I was playing on a Sunday. Sport what I had mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. Um, I'd been playing basketball games on a Saturday, which meant I was probably a bit tired for the Sunday. Things happening during the week. It it, it was all just becoming a lot. And obviously probably at that age, 16, 17, I was also doing my A-levels. Um, so whereas before I could probably get by with doing my work in and out obviously the workload all of a sudden increases a hell of a lot so I had to make some some tough decisions at the time realistically for me it was it was always ever going to be rugby it's the one I'd played the longest it's the one I loved the most um I think it's kind of I think I've said it before but it's like an amalgamation of all of those other things that I did it's kind of got a little bit of everything in it for me so yeah it was it was a tough decision at the time but I think realistically everybody knew that I was always gonna just park the rest for for rugby.
3: Before you did that and and I know this gets brought up in quite a lot of interviews but you you're offered a u.s basketball <laughs> scholarship at the age of 16 now you mentioned that you're kind of farming up bringing you playing lots of different sports how does someone from a, a leicestershire farm get offered a u.s <laughs> basketball scholarship that's quite a story
1: it's, it's a big jump isn't yeah. it um so my the club i was part of we went and did a basketball tour to um america so we did like a bit of the east coast new york philadelphia washington for about three and a half four weeks when i was 15 16 did you okay yeah, yeah well, I mean, we—I pro- think we got beaten quite heavily because, yeah, <laughs> American clubs are a bit different to English ones, but it was one of the best experiences. We went to um, some of their like basketball camps because it was their summer holidays. It was awesome, fantastic. We played in some of their like um, street tournaments, some of their proper tournaments. It was, yeah, amazing experience. And kind of post that, obviously they had selectors that we weren't aware of at, at these different tournaments. Got a letter post that, just kind of outlining a few bits and bobs. And at the time, as you say, growing up on a farm obviously been to America but never really had aspirations to leave my little county if I'm honest um, it was never really something I took that seriously I was kind of one of those things that oh you know this is cool kind of carry on type thing so obviously if you if I'd have made that big leap for me things may have worked out differently but I'm sure it would have been a, an amazing experience nonetheless. Do you ever think about it? Well, you, cause people bring it up quite a lot. Um, I do miss playing basketball. I used to love that sport, especially in the depths of winter here when you're outside in the mud. Sometimes you question, why aren't I in a nice warm sports hall playing? But yeah, I definitely miss it. It'll hopefully be something I go back to once I finish playing.
3: Obviously, you focused on the rugby and it wasn't too long until the first England call came. What did that feel like? Because you were, you were quite young when you got the England call, um, particularly someone, I guess, in your position. So, so what did
1: it feel like? Yeah, it was, it's a really interesting one. So I got asked if I could go and play in the European tournament which fell kind of that May-June time which was right in my exams, uh, my A-level exams and sat down with my parents and I was like potentially only going to get one shot to do my A-levels and and do them as best as I possibly can so sounds bonkers now but kind of turned down that opportunity to go um, in order to make sure I sat my exams and hopefully got through that okay luckily that worked out so and then Streety rang me again in the summer so <laughs> I'd just finished my A-levels I was on my first 18 year old holiday with five of my other friends um out in Greece somewhere I think so he rang me and said oh we'd love to call you up for um, the Senior uh, Nations Cup as it was back then in 2008 and I'd already done a week of this holiday and I had a week left so all of a sudden the second week of my holiday took a slightly different spin to the first half shall we say I was probably a little earlier to bed and started um, eating a bit more healthily as most people know what those holidays look like but um, yeah it was mad Um, obviously the friends that I was away with were super supportive came back home and maybe a couple of weeks later joined up with the squad at Haythrop Park back then and yeah played America Canada whatever it was and that was about 11 years ago but it seems seems like yesterday when you talk about it.
3: 12 tries in your opening 12 games. Um, I don't want to say that you found international would be easy, but did, did you feel comfortable at that level almost straight away? You kind of from, from where you've been playing, or, or was it not as easy as those stats suggest?
1: Definitely wasn't as easy as those stats suggest. I think I was afforded an opportunity because a lot of the, the backs at that time were away playing Sevens, so they were preparing for that Sevens World Cup happened around 2009. So I kind of got an opportunity to play a lot of rugby, which was amazing for me. And yeah, you think of some of the players that were around at that point, obviously. Sarah Hunter, Katie Daly, McLean—they're still there. But um, some of the the older girls that were still playing, you know, Rachel Burford, Amy Turner, some of those guys. I was very fortunate with the people around me. And you know, you could probably argue, you know, the standards come on so much in in recent years. So it was a, a different standard of rugby back then, but but nonetheless still tricky.
3: And if you look at kind of your, your career, you've spent your time between sevens and fifteens as well. Those sevens experiences now you are back as a full fifteens player. I mean, travelling the world to some amazing cities, full stadiums, following the sun as well.
1: As a pale, pasty farm girl, chasing the sun wasn't necessarily it for me. I always found it very hot and a bit overwhelming. But um yeah, I love sevens. Obviously, when you grow up, you traditionally play 15s kind of throughout the regular season. And then heading into the summer, you get to go and play at some sevens tournaments, or whatever, and always love playing sevens. It's a, a brilliant format of the game. And I suppose just the way that our calendars worked, you know, the Olympics came into it, the Commonwealth Games. So there's some unbelievable opportunities that you could kind of have by playing the game of sevens. Obviously, the professional contracts as well first came in for sevens rugby. So I think, you know, when you say all of those things out loud, you you realise why why you probably played the game for as long as you did and unbelievably grateful to have had some of those opportunities. But yeah, I, I do love the game of sevens. I think obviously stepping away from it was a hard decision for me. But as I'm getting older and... I think it's definitely a young person's game, charging around on a on a massive field like that. But um, yeah, I definitely love my time.
3: If you talk uh, about sevens and, and it's Rice right, picking on the world stage, obviously the Rio Olympics had a massive impact. You were captain of the of the GB team there. What's it like? Talk to about, I guess, being in an Olympic village, being surrounded by those athletes. Were you, you know, were you trying to look out for Usain Bolt at the, kind of the the breakfast table? What, what was it like?
1: It's mad. Like I remember the the very first time we walked into that dinner hall, and I think we'd had a talk from some of the hockey girls who'd obviously been to the the previous Olympics, and just trying to quantify it for us and explain how vast and big it was, and how just picking something for lunch would become the biggest problem, and potentially take you you know an hour to do that. And you were like, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. And then you walk into this room, and I kind of relate it back to like grain stores, and it was about three or four grain stores big. It was enormous. And as they said, there were different pockets of food stations all around the world. And you did the first time you're in there, you just wandered around and you're like, oh, that looks nice. All that, you know, and it did take you hours to try and find something to eat, which sounds ridiculous. But I think that was my first kind of memory of going to the Olympic Games and just seeing all of those different colours that were part of obviously everybody in their own individual tracksuits in that food hall. And then, yeah, as it, as it moved on, obviously, you you start thinking about the other people that potentially are in that village with you. We did see Usain Bolt and he was absolutely mobbed everywhere he went. And when we saw him, he just had hordes of people around him. We kind of felt sorry for him because he was there to do, you know, as much of a job as, as anybody else there. So
3: so no Usain Bolt selfies?
1: No, no Usain Bolt <laughs> selfies. I
3: mean, who's the most famous person now that you met Are there? Was there any like Olympians you wanted to meet or you busy folks on the rugby?
1: yeah i'm not a big selfie person <laughs> for anyone who follows me on instagram so it wasn't really my my thing but um i think just seeing seeing the people that there serena williams some of the tennis like follow tennis quite a bit so seeing some of those guys um when we went so there was like a little gb hub we went over there and andy murray was there and so just to kind of see the work that obviously some of these mega star athletes are doing and putting in was was awesome and obviously to to be in the the athlete village with a lot of the other gb athletes that you you know you come across so often it was just a really special environment that you again it's really hard to try and quantify but you'd find yourself out on the balcony look having a little look to see who you might see kind of just wandering down below it sounds really strange but it was just it's one of those things it's really hard to to take it all in at the time i think <laughs>
2: Hi, I'm Willie Hines, England Scrum Half, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to show the podcast some love by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. So I'm sat
4: here at England Training Camp. We're in Portugal. The sun is shining. We're sat pitch side uh, with England's second row, Bath Captain Charlie Ors. It's the three-track challenge. So there are three music tracks that are significant to you. So we want to know the reasons why. It could be a song that you listened to as a child in the car with your parents. It could be a song you used pre-match. It could be your first, say, cap song for England.
2: song for England was Reach by S Club 7. Oh. Charlie. So Charlie, why, uh, why? I don't know. I think everyone does Fresh Prince of Bel Air or Wonderwall or Angels, Robbie Williams. So I went slightly more left field and uh, had a bit of crowd participation. So yeah. why not? So yeah.
4: you're, I'm just trying to. So would this be in the change room? Would this be on this the bus? On, on the bus. bus. Yeah. On the yeah. bus. So, yeah. So yeah, it's
2: obviously slightly off because you go down the front of the bus, so <laughs> you're at the back with, and actually all the girlfriends are on the bus as well because we're heading back to Penny Hill after after the match at Twickenham. Um, the girls were brilliant for crowd participation by the way more so than the guys I think that's a good
4: call I, I mean actually that's a real crowd please yeah. you, when you've got some uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, the
2: more I talk about it the more you yeah, know brilliant it was a brilliant choice And then, but when you get to the front of the bus Eddie's sat front row so actually effectively you're serenading <laughs> Eddie Jones for Best Club 7. <laughs> and all the people that are loving it are sat 40 rows back at the back of the bus so you're sort of trying to look up there and then you've got Eddie just stone facing <laughs> you on, on row one who's who's not reaching for the stars no
4: i have just imagine his Aren't waving no, in the air no. and he's singing and tapping not, his foot. He's not no. climbing
2: every mountain high. And <laughs> <enjoying>.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, disappointing in some ways. Okay, well, there we go. That's number one, a great choice. Uh, song number two.
2: Oh, I'm going to go with Bohemian Rhapsody Queen. I just, I love that song as a kid. Mm. Um, yeah, I like the film that came out recently. and I, don't know, I just think it's a, it's a cool bit of music. It was a bit different for its time. No one really liked it when it came out, and now it's a classic. Yeah. Okay, so what are you going to hit us with for number three? I'm trying to think of any other songs that have got any sort of sentimental value. What What's like? the first bit of music you bought or downloaded? I think, so first album, actually, remember, here we go. So there's two. So the first album I was ever gifted was. Uh, Shaggy's album because I used to love It Wasn't Me by Sh- I'm talking when I'm literally <laughs> like six, seven years old I got Shaggy's album for Christmas and I remember being like I loved like It Wasn't Me Yeah, uh, and then I put the album on and I didn't like any of the other songs but I had to pretend like I sat there <laughs> loving all of them because I'd ask my parents to buy me the album uh, and then probably the first album that I bought for myself Linkin Park I used to love Linkin okay. Park yeah we'll see. Extremely Sad, about Chester and, and mm. what happened with him. But no, I used to, get that, uh, Meteor, I think it was, was probably the first album. So, I was numb, I think that was on that Yeah, album, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so that was cool, yeah. So you like so, guitars and drums, is that kind of more your back bag? then, yeah, right? but then I, I listened to everything, and then I sort of got into, I had a real real phase going through old school hip-hop. And right, okay. Tupac, Notorious B.I.G., yeah. all this, going through, and just loving all of that. And then I went through, like, dance music and loved it. So, yeah, I don't know, I'd say I was quite an eclectic, I like Adele, Someone Like You, Adele. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That's a brilliant brilliant song. It's
4: actually a really big hit in camp, isn't it? I think Marlis and a a version of uh, him do something like that. I mean, there we go. Charlie, thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Serenading Eddie Jones. Goodness gracious me, not for the faint-hearted. If you haven't already, be sure to scroll back through our episodes to hear the full interview with Charlie. Such a nice bloke. Right now, though, let's get back to Nathan's chat with England centre, Emily Scurrett.
3: If we move on then, and because back to your 15th career, and we're speaking not too long after you've been named World Rugby's (laughs) Women's Player of the Year, there's a story behind it, though, isn't there, that I think that you you were initially a bit kind of undecided as to why you were going over there. You weren't quite (laughs) sure, is that correct?
1: Yeah, it it was all very bizarre. Obviously, Nikki kind of pulled me one day after training and was like oh um so we need to talk about your world rugby letter and I was like what world rugby letter She was like oh have you not had it and I was like I, I have literally no idea what you're talking about so she pulled it up on her laptop and obviously I was just the two of us in a room so I tried to skim it as fast as possible and I saw world rugby nomination Tokyo World Cup final ticket so that's something else and all these I was like flipping heck and then she was like oh like we're sending you as the English representative this was obviously a hell of a lot to take in, and almost had to decide by. Well, there wasn't a decision to make, was it if we've been honest? You were but going. yeah, but that was maybe four or five days before, or maybe a week before actually then heading out to Tokyo. So I'd actually had had plans that weekend. I had a couple of things on because it was our only weekend without a Tyrells game or a camp. So I had to change them and hope that friends and family were understanding which they were when I told them what it was. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just mad. The whole weekend was just nuts. Um, incredibly grateful, obviously, f- to be able to go in the first place with it being so close to our autumns. But then um, to have been awarded it, it's just bonkers. Got not got my head around it at all. Well,
3: I'm going to ask you another question, Alice. <laughs> I mean, what is, what is it like to be named the best player in the world?
1: I, I don't know. It's really strange. I like, obviously amazing and overwhelming, and something that obviously totally humbles you. But I said it at the time. It's kind of strange to receive an individual award or accolade when you're part of a team you know you played a team sport pretty much your whole life it's it's never something that you've had as a goal or something you've seen that's attainable because you're so focused on team goals or whatever that is it's as a team so when you kind of get recognized individually it's you kind of feel a bit not not a fraud but you know obviously what you're doing is only what everybody else is doing as part of your team if that even makes sense so yeah it's it's unbelievable to obviously to receive that accolade but um i'm very grateful to obviously the players around me now the players that have been around me my whole career coaches all of that etc and obviously all the girls around the world that are playing against as well because I think at the moment everybody's working so hard to, to kind of increase the level of women's rugby and hopefully we're managing to do that now, as
3: part of the a Rugby podcast, I like to take people inside camp, maybe things that they don't know or um, haven't seen or heard. Now, I've been lucky enough to spend some time with the Red Roses behind the scenes, and I've been lucky enough to be at a shirt presentation. And there's a certain song which happens when you get presented your shirt, Emily Scarry, if you'd like to just in- inform the listeners.
1: Oh, I don't even know how to explain it. and I'm definitely not singing it. Um, You'll have to ask someone else to do that. So basically, I can't remember when it was, a few years ago, it was kind of one of our autumn camps, so it was pre-Christmas, and we were at um, our hotel and it was a shirt presentation or it was a meeting of some description, and all of a sudden in this room, that had, which had speakers in it, some Christmas music started playing. I can't remember what the song was called, but I'm not going to sing it, I'm not going to sing it, but anyway, this song starts coming out as either I'm getting up or saying something... <laughs> And then everybody carries on this song and goes and says my name at the end of it. It's just a well-known tune, but, um, is a well
3: known tune. Xanarin Chelsea is the one. Is that what it said. is?
1: Yeah, okay, there you go. There you go. And then they finish it now with my name, which now happens every single shirt presentation. Izzy Noel Smith was one of the biggest drivers of it. Anyone who knows Izzy knows she's not necessarily the quietest of people. So she got that one going. And now, yeah, it's just something that's stuck. And obviously, coming back from the awards, things like that just. They, they don't help things. So, um. It's a
3: lovely tradition. Um, <laughs> if we just look about, uh, we've spoken a lot about rugby there, some stuff away from the field. Obviously, you are now a full-time professional rugby player, fantastic thing for all the Red Roses that are involved. But before that, you, you did have a job. You were a PE teacher. You were Miss Scarrows. <laughs> so how how was that? How did you find that? Was that was teaching something you always wanted to do? It's something you kind of fell into?
1: Yeah, I think... When growing up, I, I thought about it. I wanted to be a police officer. I told my brother that and he said, no, it's too dangerous. And Bless him. So um, then, yeah, I love sport. Always loved my PE teachers as well growing up, which I think obviously helps. Um, and they always seem to have a pretty chill, easy time. It, I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and it's just one of those things. Obviously, went to uni, came out of uni looking for uh, looking for a job that obviously support playing rugby, not full time then, but obviously spent a lot of time away. And this opportunity came up at King Edward School in Birmingham. Um, the staff there were amazing. It was an all boys school, so a lot of their year was focused around their rugby. Um, so each year a group had an afternoon of, that was dedicated to their rugby. So got obviously heavily involved in that. But yeah, it was it was mad, and quite a lot of the boys recently have kind of messaged me either on Instagram or whatever just kind of saying congratulations and stuff and obviously I've not seen them for I don't know what they've been now four or five years so that's, that's really nice that they even remember you but yeah I really enjoyed it I had the under-14A school team at the time. We'd go play fixtures on a Saturday. Um, yeah, it was cool. It was, uh, yeah, it was obviously tough whilst training properly, but um, yeah, it was a lot of fun as well. If you go
3: to now, now you are a full-time professional. A part of that is your job is to relax, is to <laughs> is to spend some time off your feet. So how how does Emily Scarrett relax? What's isn't your that a great thing? It is You're a great I mean,
1: I'm very jealous. of your job is to go and put your feet up. <laughs> um, yeah to be honest i'm I, I enjoy cooking i'm more of a baker which is a bit controversial obviously with the athlete life and nutrition and stuff so i don't necessarily do it as often as i would like because obviously you have to eat everything you make so to me now the nutritionist yeah <laughs> <laughs> obviously I <don't> <laughs> yeah I, I love baking so like cakes or trying different things yeah probably just that I enjoy playing a bit of golf um, which can be quite relaxing only in the summer though. I'm not a winter golfer yeah I'm for fair with a golfer um, but yeah nothing nothing crazy to be honest it's it, it's nice I now live back up near where I grew up so just going and seeing like my, I've got two grandmas um, my family some of my old school friends are up there it sounds daft but just being able to actually go and have coffee with my grandma on a Friday morning which you know you, not a lot of people get the opportunity to do so that's been quite nice
0: that's it for today big thanks to Emily Scarratt for being a part of it as always this week we're bringing you a double dose of the podcast so keep your eyes peeled for our bonus Red Roses podcast on Friday in celebration of International Women's Day on the 8th of March don't forget to subscribe to the England Rugby Podcast for free just hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast from that way you won't miss one episode you'll get them as soon as they drop so until next time thanks for listening and ta Rafa for now